I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the slotted Patrick Bamford effort of the podcast, and I'm joined by Joe Hill, the sumptuous Phillips free kick of the podcast, and the slightly mishit, completely mishandled click shot of All Stats Aren't We, it's Darren Driver. Guys, how are we feeling? I'm feeling great. Pretty good. Yeah. It's up and down at the moment, isn't it? And it feels as though we're being unlucky when we don't get, you know, when we drop points, and then we're getting a little bit lucky maybe when we, when we don't. And um, I suppose that's just all part part and parcel of it. But um, yeah, I thought the game yesterday was quite stressful in the first half. Um, but having watched it back, I'm uh, starting to question my ability of watching a game under pressure <laughs> and um, having any sort of good judgment about it. So. Um, Guys, how did you feel about the the game during the the watch? And if either of you watched it back, how did you feel about the watch back? We'll start with you, Darren. Yeah, I, I like you. I was pretty uh, pretty stressed during that first half. Um, as you probably see from my Twitter feed, between games, I'm pretty chilled about things. I don't get too emotional. I try and <laughs> try and keep balanced. But during the game, it's a completely different matter. And I was bouncing around the front room, effing and jeffing at everything that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I like you. I've rewatched. Um, the game actually in double speed this morning. It gives a much different view of of how things happened. It was much much more controlled than than I initially thought. I think there was just really one spell after we scored our first goal where they where Blackburn looked dangerous and we caused a few problems for ourselves as as well as Blackburn looking a bit more dangerous and a bit more direct. But overall, you know, really pleased, really content. Won't be getting too excited about it. Just like I didn't get too low when we drew against Luton. How about you, Joe? How was your experience of the game? I think you were right to mention luck earlier because I think we were overdue some some good luck. Um, thinking about the chances that uh, that were missed yesterday, they were <laughs> we were we were definitely due a couple of missed chances from an opponent, considering you know what Luton did to us and what Cardiff did to us. Um, I thought, yeah, that that spell after the first goal, like Darren said, I was quite stressed out, but. Um, once uh, in the second half, once we got back to three one and got back to the two goal cushion, I actually just found myself being quite relaxed and 
just enjoying watching us keep possession for long periods of time. Yeah, I'm just looking through the InfoGold stats now, and um, they're for some reason they've their their Leeds United shop map is not interactive. I have seen a copy of it somewhere online, uh, but on their website the interactive one isn't there, so I can't see how um, I can't really see how um, lucky we were in terms of chances. But the first Patrick Bamford chance was a 0.07 xG chance, so uh, pretty pretty low. Um, so yeah, it's about time we started turning things around. I think our XG was was certainly not as high as three. It was it was within the mid ones, I think. So yeah, it was like one point four four, I think. Right. Okay. Which I think is I think it's interesting because I think we're going to talk about play style, um, and that might be a good place to go to um, here because it does feel as though the tenor of the game de- determines whether or not we're going to or how we're going to be successful and how we're going to be unsuccessful. So I had a question from James Evans who said, is it as simple as when teams play to attack as we win, when they park the bus, we don't. Um, and uh, I mean, if you look over the last few games, yes, that is roughly the case. But I, I think the issue is more that we're more likely to be lucky when teams play on our terms than when we play on their terms. And um I think that partly comes down to the fact that we're a team that's set up to play in a very specific way and Bielsa doesn't particularly like plan B things, uh, plan plan B approaches. So he says, you know, plan plan B is just plan A done better. Um, and I think it comes down to that. You know, look at the sorts of chances that Patrick Bamford has scored recently, uh, the chance against Fulham, the chance yesterday. Their front foot chances, the ball's played through to him, he gets a a, a, a shot on it and, and, it, and it goes in. Um, look at the chances that he gets against Luton. They're all penalty box chances with like intricate footwork, um, balls being dinked in um, and, and, and being under huge amounts of defensive pressure. And I think it, it roughly comes down to that. But um, Joe, you had some thoughts on this. It's a really interesting question from, from James and, I looked back to at the games that we've lost this season. Um, so that's Swansea, Charlton, Millwall, Fulham, Sheffield Wednesday, QPR, Wigan, Forest, and then Cardiff. Um, and I think with the exception of Fulham, I think those teams were sitting back. Like Swansea was a smash and grab. Um, Charlton was pretty much the same. Obviously, Wigan. Uh, we, we don't talk about Wigan, but... Um, Forest Forest is exactly the same. So I think I think that I think that James is right. I think it does play in our favour when teams come out against us, like we saw in the Fulham game and like we saw yesterday. I think as balance to that, it's also worth saying that we have beaten plenty of teams that have sat in, sat in and defended against us. Um it's just that when our defeats come it tends to be in that sort of game where we can't make the breakthrough. I think it's important to say, and especially in light of what happened at Luton, that you know, regardless of the fact that we talk about Bielsa sides being space, uh, space manipulating sides that are all based around the concept of interchange and uh, rotations and and moving the opposition around. Against Luton, we created more than enough chances to win the game, and uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who works at a big club in Europe, and he was saying he was sort of calming me down after the Luton result, and he was like, "Look, you're the most you're the most dominant team in the league." per league in the world probably at the moment and even when there are teams who sit deep against you you're still 
creating those chances and you know you, you can beat yourselves up about being unlucky but those chances were created and they just weren't scored um and so he was just sort of saying what well, what more do you what more do you want really you can't you can't have your cake and eat it really <laughs> um so i think that's an important point to to mention i don't want to talk about Luton too much but after we scored the the equalizer on on tuesday uh, was it tuesday i think it was tuesday um I was pretty convinced that we were then going to go on and win the game and that, that was sort of how I felt it would probably go but what I knew was that we would create at least two or three really good chances to do so and that, that's the kind of real key thing isn't it we do consistently create good chances even against these teams that sit in whether we take them or not you know it just seems to be down to a bit of a coin toss really fundamentally yeah and yesterday I shared um, the heat maps from the, the last two games just because I think that it's quite good for um, for just indicating what the difference between those two games was. And you can see against Luton, they were just happy to invite us forward and force us into wide areas. Uh, whereas yesterday, we just were able to be a little bit more direct. We were able to get in behind centre-backs. Um, actually, watching back this morning, um, the Patrick Bamford um, free kick that the keeper gets a yellow card for that a lot of people thought should have been red but I didn't, but that's a different argument entirely, was the result of uh, just a really lovely bit of play down the down the left-hand side, an interplay between Barry Douglas and, um, and Calvin Phillips, where Douglas plays the ball into, into space on a needle. Um, Phillips shapes to hit it down the line, but fakes and then, and then just picks out click in a really nice, like, in, in, incisive, progressive pass. And then click just plays the ball through to... to um, Bamford and that's these are the sorts of games that we really benefit from it's um it's it's when you have space that you're able to manipulate and and teams can't can't handle us so I think it's important to 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 recognize that as well um there was another question as well actually that I'm going to throw in here from Chris Shaw this morning he said click was awesome yesterday but it often goes unnoticed is there any link between us performing well and him putting in a performance is he the key to our midfield control and uh, my response to this is simply you know the, the games where Click plays well are the games where we have space and we, we are able to ma- manipulate it. Um, he's, he's just that kind of player. He's, he's, um, he's got an engine. He's uh, very good at uh, moving the ball. He's very good at passing. And when you have that those things and space to, to play in there, it, it really makes a difference. So, um, yeah, would certainly say that play style issues, um, we are more likely to lose to teams sitting deep and playing on the counter but I'd still say that in those in the most cases we're still the more likely of the teams to win in those two um, scenarios which is why essentially it I think it feels as though we've been quite unlucky at times this season uh, because whenever we've lost usually we've not deserved to that's just part and parcel of being so dominant yeah, I think Klitsch has really taken time to get back up to back up to speed after this break. I think he 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 was the one that seemed to struggle the most from lack of match sharpness out of all all the squad. And I was really pleased to see him give a good performance yesterday, and equally pleased to see Bielsa picking him out um, in in the post match conference as the player that really unbalanced the game in our favour because that was kind of how I saw it too. Do you feel as though Klitsch is is maybe better in those open games? Um, because I feel like against Luton for example, and, and people always just sort of put it down to, well, he's had an off game, but I, and I'd have to go back and watch a few more to, to really nail down my <laughs> my opinion on this, but I feel as though he is a player who really does benefit from games being more open than closed. I think there's a certain amount of truth in that, but I also thought there were some really fundamentally sloppy bits of um, 
times when he'd really given just given the ball away in, in, in daft positions and daft areas um, up, up until yesterday, which I didn't notice him doing at all. So, yeah, I think there's definitely some truth in it. He, he likes space to run into. He likes to gallop around the place, doesn't he? But, um, but yeah, I... I yeah, I think I think he'll uh, he'll really I think he'll really kick on for the rest of the season is is my my thought. I think he'll start to give some more performances similar to what we were seeing earlier on in the season. Now that he's kind of seems to have regained that extra step or yard or whatever whatever footballing cliche you want you choose to use. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about the the fact that we all had I think the impression that it was a bad first half or at least a bad first fifteen minutes. Um, Something that I've noticed, I think maybe we've all noticed in, in games is that Leeds do seem to be under the cosh a little bit in the first um, period of a game. Um, I don't know whether or not we think it's because teams... Come, I mean, certainly yesterday, Blackburn came out and pressed us very high and very hard for the first 15 minutes. And that does seem to be a um, a recurring pattern in teams playing against Leeds. Um Darren, did you want to kick this off? Because you, uh, you had some thoughts on this. I did, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of really um, noticed this against, uh, particularly against Fulham too, when they pressed us high. That there were a number of times when when it seemed like we wanted to be too intricate playing out, and that we actually played ourselves into trouble quite a few times. And my kind of instinct on that is to kind of want the players to go maybe that little bit more direct, be that little bit more pragmatic, to try and hit, you know, maybe Alioski and Harrison that little bit earlier. But one thing I really noticed yesterday is that Bielsa is the absolute enemy of pragmatism because as soon as the players made a decision to start going against his playing style, all you could hear was him bellowing at them to start passing the ball out properly again and to start moving the ball more quickly. So, you know, I think that if, if we are to trust Bielsa's playing style, it's going to come with those hairy moments, particularly over the next few weeks. And I, I think um, the players are really going to have to do as he instructs them to do. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> who knows what could happen in the dressing room kind of thing. But um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I was quite pleased that they'd started moving the ball that bit longer. And then suddenly you saw Bielsa doing his agitated pacing around and screaming at people. So um Maybe maybe I'll keep my thoughts about pragmatism to myself in the future. <laughs> there was a Barry Douglas long ball down the field aimlessly that he just went out. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really went for it. Uh, Joe, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think yesterday one thing that I noticed was that Bielsa was particularly uh, angry with Meslier and Meslier's distribution. Um, I think that our style when we are passing um, around the back and then when teams come at us in the first 15 minutes we do rely on the keeper being able to ping some balls longer out to the wings like Darren was saying um, but I thought his distribution was way off uh, what I've what I've seen it uh, be yesterday you know in the Arsenal game that was that was his first game and I was absolutely blown away and thinking you know this guy's this guy's insane and I think um, this the game yesterday sort of brought me brought me back down to earth and thought you know um he's he's still got a lot to work on in that sense and hopefully he can step it up for the next game because i think that's a big part of our play style i agree but i also thought his goalkeeping fundamentals were really solid yesterday and that that, that really helped us out that particularly the one where he went down at the feet of the attacker after he'd um, after he'd scuffed the ball into the middle and and created a chance for them 
He's a much better handler of the ball than Casilla. Like it's so nice knowing that if the ball goes up and he goes up for it, he'll probably come out getting it, which was never the case with Casilla. Um, interesting that we're still calling him Meslier because it seems as though the received wisdom now is that we call him Melier, which I find very hard to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think interesting. It's 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 important to remember he's young, right? He's twenty years old. Um, I think in again pressure is something that is is easy to talk about but um I th- I thought maybe his distribution was was maybe indicative of of feeling the pressure a little bit in the first half because his distribution in the second half was fine now he didn't have a huge amount to do in the second half but um and and a lot of it does come under the added pressure of that high press in the first 15 20 minutes but um I wonder whether or not you know the fact that against Arsenal he was he was quite happy just pinging the ball around was was um, a sign that you know that under pressure he might he might be a little bit um, more dubious when it comes to distribution. Um, I can't remember the Arsenal game well enough to to know if he was under a huge amount of pressure. I suspect Arsenal weren't pressing high, but um, that will be something to, to to think about in the future. I'm actually um, interviewing John Harrison this week, who is uh, um, a goalkeeping analyst. So that will be on the the Patreon um, site. Uh, on Thursday night um, and it'll be really interesting to talk to him about Meslier I think because um, I think a lot of us have questions about about goalkeepers it's really hard to analyse goalkeepers I try not to talk about goalkeepers that much which is why I will talk at length about Meslier's distribution but but not so much about any other aspect of his game because I don't understand goalkeeping it's a it's a dark art as far as I'm concerned yeah, so well, it's a different sport. That's what on the on the goalkeepers union, the guy Richard Lee always talks about it being fundamentally a different sport. But um, I'm I'm really interested in, in goalkeeping, so I look mm. forward to that. Um, mm. I just wanted to make one more point about our the way we played out yesterday, and something that which I thought caused us problems, which I've not really heard, heard anyone talking about, which was that the pitch, particularly in in the corners and in the wings, was really. I thought the grass was probably really long, or it was heavily sanded, because I noticed quite a few times that the ball stood up when it should have been running out particularly that one time when Alioski chased it into the corner, the ball really held up. So I, f- I felt that oh. that really hindered and inhibited our ability to play our normal slick passing style. And it's it's entirely deliberate. I re- you know, it's a kind of from the George Graham shithouse book of oh. techniques, but, um, but it, it seemed to have some effect on us at least initially. I did wonder how much of it was just to do with the fact that it was just raining the whole time as well. And, you know, if you play mm. passes on the floor, it just the surface tension just slows the ball down. There's a few times... Where I was a little bit nervous about the uh, about the pass, particularly in the first half. I've just thrown some data viz in the running order. Just the turnovers. I also find the turnovers quite interesting. First half and second half. The first half, you can see the balls we gave away were were very much sort of deep and uh, a little bit more central. In the second half, we gave balls we gave the ball away around their penalty area, and and then there was maybe one in the sort of Barry Douglas area. But you can see again that's just control. That one in the second half was Calvin, not Barry Douglas. It was the one where he right, tried okay. to play it across the pitch, and it went straight to their man in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So again, and that's something that I've been looking out for actually in the last few games since the restart, because obviously against Cardiff we had. A nightmare uh, in terms of turnovers of possession in the first half versus the second half, and um, the same was true actually in in I think the other two games. We um, obviously against Fulham we were under a huge amount of pressure in the first half, um, and and so there was more turnovers there. So yeah, interesting. But I do think that just comes down to teams coming out against us, knowing that their best chance is to pick, pick, get a goal early and then sit back on it, um, and then yeah. I'm just, that said, I was sort of looking. I was looking at the possessions per half according to. 
sorry, possessions lost per half, according to um, Sofa Score, which is obviously, um, they're obviously measuring that stat differently. But you can see in the first half, Leeds lost eight, uh, possession 82 times. Um, so that's not necessarily from a direct turnover, I think. I think it's every time that the ball changes possession, essentially. So it could be when you go out for a throw-in and, or a goal kick or whatever as well. So 82 times um, in the first half and then 64 times in the second half. Um Obviously, though, you know, like these stats are, are kind of weird because, like, it doesn't really tell you anything. Because if Leeds give the ball away, then um, the opposition get the ball, um, and then if they give the ball away, then we get the ball. So the possessions numbers, are always, possession turnovers, are always going to be very similar. Um, and in fact, all you can tell from there is actually in the first half, um, generally, if if the turnover numbers are higher, then the game will be more intense and quicker. Um, and so you can see in the first half with eighty-two to seventy-eight possessions between the two teams that's obviously a bit more of an intense game in the second half it drops down by about 20 to to 60 64 so you can see there even then in the stats that there is some kind of control um being garnered uh, as well in that in that second half and then um yeah again I, I thought we were quite open in terms of shooting we gave up six box shots um which is pretty big for us we gave up three against Luton um to our 11 so 11 is a bit low for us and and six is a little bit on the high side but um again that's just indicative of, of maybe a little bit of lack of uh, a lack of control in the first half in particular I, haven't, I should have looked at the first and second half stats on that but i didn't feel like they had a huge amount of chances in the second half so anyway we should move on from from all of this um sort of game breakdown stuff to talk about maybe more individual um aspects of the game um Darren, you wanted to talk about Bamford's performance, um, which was very good. Graham Cowgill got in touch and said, I thought Bamford's all-round game today was good. Obviously just a perception, but do the stats back it up? He takes an off stick when it doesn't work, deserves credit when it does. I think there's probably an element of what we were saying about click. You know, this was a game that suited Bamford. But what, what was your take on Bamford, Darren? Yeah, just just really that that he, his, he brought together the two parts of his games, which we've seen separately, but not together so far this season. So, yeah. The the finish that he that he put away was very kind of very much in his wheelhouse. He he likes to run onto a ball and strike it while it's moving, um, and and that that's the kind of finish which you consistently see him put away since he joined. Um, I thought he he did he did the kind of dirty work. He 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 gave the centre halves a difficult time. Um, I thought some of his some of his passing around you know in in the kind of build up and and, and into plays wasn't quite up to its normal standard, but but overall because of the stick that he's received over. Last since Tuesday, particularly given given the the, the, the missed chance, um, I just wanted to kind of reflect on on him having a good game and say say nothing more technical about it than that. Really, yeah. Again, it was it was just it's just nice to see a game where he it felt as though he was involved because um, again, like against Dur- uh, Durham against uh, Luton, he just felt as though he sort of he got frustrated at the lack of service so he sort of pushed out into wide areas to pick up the ball when it was there and it meant that there was no one in the area and uh, the, when it again when it's a case of just opposition sitting deep and just surrounding him he's just not going to get much ball time and he's going to lose I think a little bit of his edge because he likes to drop deep and he likes to be involved in the build-up play and once that's gone I think he sort of gets a little bit frustrated and gets pulled out um but yeah, it's it was yesterday was one of those nice games, wasn't it? Where you know the Bamford haters don't have much to say, and um, it's really quite obvious what what um, a role he's performing in our team. 
he's not going to change now and he's going to be in the starting lineup for the next five games almost certainly unless he picks up an injury so I think we, it's one of those where the people who the, the haters if you like are just going to have to shut up and accept that he's going to be there and and those of us that kind of admire his, the work that he does for the team and and uh, you know are just going to have to hope that he doesn't miss too many chances <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, let's talk about P- Pablo because you mentioned, Darren, that, that without Pablo we were we we're fine. Um, Pablo comes on on the sixty first yeah. minute, sixty first minute, and the game was done by then. Now, obviously, there's a control thing there. Um, he does help us control the game a little bit more, but uh, at the same time, you know, we we got the job done without him, which I think um, Leeds fans have been a little bit questioning whether or not that's ever going to be the case but um, Joe we'll go to you for this but what are your thoughts on, on, on Pablo yesterday versus you know Pablo in the in the last few games? I think he really controlled it yesterday when he came on I think the game was probably already under control to be honest but um, he was kind of because we had that two goal cushion he didn't really have to look for any sort of magical game changing passes he was just sort of able to bring the tempo right down um, and just make it really easy watching, just watching us keep ball, basically. Um, I thought Douglas did that well too, actually. I thought there were moments where he um, could have could have gone forward, and I think if it was Alioski, he probably would have gone forward and uh, done something a bit more risky, but Douglas came and uh, just played it back to the centre-backs, and there was five or ten minutes where we were just knocking it around, um, sort of around the halfway line. Um, and, yeah, I thought Pablo was... was fully involved in that and so and so was Douglas and just bringing the tempo down yeah we're going to talk about Douglas more fully I think in a moment um Darren did you want to say anything about Pablo uh, I just wanted to say about how how we won the game without him really which is that thing that that Jurgen Klopp says which is that pressing is the best number 10 and and the way that we created chances yesterday was by winning the ball high up the pitch and taking advantage of them them being out of position um so I, I thought that was that was hugely impressive and yeah, when Pablo came on, it was nice for him not to, not to have to do a rescue rescue mission for once. You know, just kind of mm. come on, keep us ticking over, keep the ball, um, nutmeg a couple of people just because that's what he does, and and uh, and see the game out. You know, really comfortably. Mm. So good good use of Pablo. I hope we can use him more like that over the next five games. And then Ben White, I think someone who uh, again had a had a good game, and I, I think I feel as though we're going to just bang on about the fact that this game suited us. A lot of my tactics preview was taken up with the idea that if we played Blackburn the way that they usually play, we would do quite well. Uh, the question was, are Blackburn going to play the way they usually play? And thankfully, yesterday they did. Um, and I think one of the things that showed up from that is the just the space that Ben White was able to to drive into. That's something you picked up on, Joe. Yeah, yeah, I thought he had a fantastic game yesterday. I thought he was unbelievable in all areas of the pitch. There was a couple of moments where, like you say, he he carried the ball um, pretty much to the edge of the box, um, and even put in a couple of crosses, which was, I mean, they weren't they weren't the best crosses in the world, but it was nice to see him um, just being really on top of his game. And I think we're just seeing a player that's been so confident and so consistent all season. Um, when he when he first started this season, everyone was sort of thinking, "Wow, he's having a great run of form," and that run of form has just turned into having an unbelievable season. Um, I was slightly disappointed to see that Brighton won uh, yesterday, um, which probably means they're safe in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, that's going to cause us a few headaches over the summer, I'm sure. But um, 
yeah, he was fantastic yesterday. Yeah, and uh, it's just remarkable, isn't it, looking at his time at Leeds and the fact that he's sort of come up having only played League One football before that and slotting into the Championship and, and fitting in well. I wonder, Darren, if you think that, that he's succeeded at Leeds United because they are playing a very sort of Premier League style of football. Um, we know that we know that Ben White isn't a, a particularly agricultural type defender. He's not. He's he's. His weaknesses, the weaknesses in his game, tend to be defensive rather than um, on the ball stuff. Um, and I wonder whether or not you think that being, Leeds was just the perfect club for him to to really uh, showcase the the qualities that he has. I think that's absolutely true. But I also think what is true is that he was the perfect defender for what we needed at the time. And I think that I think that you've got to give Victor Orta some credit for, for kind of for for spotting and and making sure that we got him into the club because. Um, in terms of his contribution to our build-up play, in terms of his proactive defending, in terms of getting in front of um, centre-forwards, um, in terms of his ability to drive up the pitch, they're all things which which we notably had Pontus Janssen trying to do last season, but quite often making a lot of mistakes in all of those areas. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that Ben White will thrive in the Premier League. Sadly, I don't think it'll be with us. Um, although I, re- I really hope I'm wrong about that, but um, yeah, I think he he's definitely a Premier League defender playing in a Championship team at the moment. But mm. playing in a Championship team which plays a really progressive style, which suits him mm. for sure. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think with you mentioned Pontus Janssen, and and you look back at the centre back pairings that Leeds have had, they've always been very much classic defenders, right? I mean, whatever you think of Pontus Janssen, mm. he is he is a classic centre back and uh, then you think of uh, I guess uh, Kyle Bartley and, and Liam Cooper and, and that team uh, as well um, that's again a, a very classic centre back pairing and I think what what this team needed last season was precisely what we saw yesterday which is Ben White picking up the ball and having the 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 guile and, and capability of just carrying that into space in the midfield areas because I think often a centre back is often wasted. I think in Leeds games where you're dominating possession so much, if you've got four players back, um, then you know you've got essentially two two centre backs sitting, and then you're you're essentially wasting a player in the build up phase. So the fact that he can pick the ball up and drive into that area and then lay it off uh, makes a huge difference. And I think he makes really good decisions about when to do that and when when to stay, which which I think again was is is a no, notable contrast from last season when I felt very often we took the wrong decision about when to drive the ball into the midfield at a defender's feet. Um, so I think I think his his decision making is is really one of his key strengths when we're in possession for sure. Right, we should talk about the the, the sort of question that is on everyone's lips about. Uh, left back selection next game we don't often get the chance to and it's funny isn't it it feels like every time we have a chance to be like oh we've got two players in one position playing well one of them will inevitably get injured um, which is the case here because uh, Stuart Dallas is injured um, so we had a couple of questions about this uh, Douglas or Dallas so Liam Horsley says Douglas or Dallas if both are fit for Stoke uh, and Gareth Payne said should Douglas stay in if Dallas is fit for the next game full disclosure I love Dallas and he's my player of the season but Douglas had a great game and brings back balance to the left back position and I don't want him to play in midfield either you and me both Gareth um Joe let's let's go with you from first here what what's your thinking on this uh, approach to the left back position I think if we're if we're being realistic that Dallas is isn't going to be 
100% match fit just like that. Um, I don't expect him to come straight back into to the left-back position um, just for that reason. I think that um, Bielsa should stick with Douglas there and you know Dallas can make the bench and then use him as an option and then because we need to be thinking about the next five games, you know, if Dallas isn't a hundred percent fit and we start him straight again at left back again, um, then for all we know, he's going to pick up another injury or just do some more damage to the injury, and then he's going to be out for the for the following game. So I think we need to look after him, and I don't really have any problem with uh, Douglas starting and Dallas being on the bench, and I think he can bring a good option from the bench. I'm just having a look through his stats um well just the basic uh, playing stats from this season on transfer market and uh, look he played 10 minutes against Fulham he didn't play against Luton before that the last game he played in was in uh January January the 11th against Sheffield Wednesday he got 56 minutes um the previous game before that was half a half an hour or a half of football and then injuries before that um and then four minutes in two games before that back in um, December then before that a half and then a sub appearance uh, back in October so he's not he's played 90 minutes twice this season before yesterday um, and they were the second and third games of the season against Forest and Wigan respectively Um, so I think impressive that he came on for a full 90 and and did the job uh, and really fitted into the game Darren I'm interested in in hearing your thoughts on whether or not he was played yesterday because it was perceived that the game might suit him well um, rather than someone like Dallas who who maybe is a bit more of a uh, defensive player who can who can then carry the ball out in, um, in 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 certain situations I think it was purely to do with the injuries that we had on on the wing and needing to play Alioski up on the left wing rather than anything specifically to do with Douglas Having said that, I thought he did play very well yesterday and we, we, we saw a lot of his key strengths, which are that kind of lovely left foot that he's got, his ability to play a really good vertical pass. Um, I think one of one of the weaknesses that we have when we see Dallas at left back is he's, he's very often looking to come on the inside onto his right foot to find a, to find a player in field. Um, and that makes makes us a little bit predictable in, in terms of how, how the ball uh, is going to be moved from left back so I thought that was really great I think we also saw Douglas's very very glaring major weakness yesterday which was his absolute inability to get back when um, when Gallagher was put through on goal by, by Rothwell uh, after we'd failed to pick up a second ball um, I'm absolutely certain that had either Dallas or Alioski been in that position that, that, that he wouldn't have been able to get a clean strike away on goal Um and Douglas looked like he was running through treacle or something. It was really kind of quite painful to watch. Just on that, do you think that the the issue there is uh, is a, an ongoing issue, or do you think it was because this was within the first ten minutes of the game, um, first full ninety that he's played in in a long time, the first start he's played in a while? Did you think there was any sense that it was maybe he was just a bit slow off the mark? He was just he was just not alert enough because of match match sharpness. Possibly, but but also I would say that he is kind of notably one of our slower players, in, just in the general general day to day play, or at least that's how I see it. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that Sheffield Wednesday game was the last time he, he played at, at fifty six minutes. Did you say he was really poor in that and was given a pretty torrid time down that left hand side, if I remember correctly? So, I, I think I think pace is is his one major weakness. I think if you could put Douglas's left foot 
Dallas's intelligence and Alioski's kind of sheer work rate and pace together, you'd have a hell of a left back. But as it is, we're left with three <laughs> that have all got major strengths, but have all got pretty glaring weaknesses too. <laughs> you'd end up with Marcelo, I think, is is what you would end up with. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, that's quite that's quite a nice uh, analogy, I think. Um, let's talk. Let's jump onto the Alioski question while we're here because it seems to fit in. We had Oli Malkin saying, "Do you think Alioski provided more energy and threat than Costa?" I'd keep him there for the next game. Um, I think it's. I think it's quite clear that there was. It was a tactical decision to do that. Um, Darren, you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, because John, you'd picked out in your in your tactical preview thread that um, Blackburn tend to play with with both of their fullbacks up high, and and um, I felt that we used Alioski and Harrison more as a way of stopping that threat um, than we did in terms of their attacking output. In terms of Alioski's attack, attacking output yesterday, I thought it was fairly minimal, certainly compared to the games when we've seen Harrison play out there, um, which isn't to say I thought he did a bad job. I thought he did a really good job for the team, but I, but I think it's it's an unfair comparison to compare his performance to Costa because they were tasked with very different roles, I felt. What's your take, Joe, on the, on the, the sort of um, interesting... Uh, wing situation that we had yesterday with Alioski on the on the left and Harrison on the right because that's a really a combination that I don't think any of us has really thought about until the last few games. Um, how do you feel about it? Are you are you positive about it? I think I'm positive to to know that we have that as as an option. Um, I think if it was up to me, I probably would revert back to Harrison on the left and Costa on the right and Alioski on the bench, uh, assuming everyone's fit. Um, that's what I'd do for, for the next game. I, it's like Darren was saying, it's it's hard to tell whether Alioski's, uh, well, for me anyway, it's hard to tell whether his lack of attacking output yesterday was to do with the fact that he was just um, concentrating on stopping Blackburn from getting forward. And I think he did do a good job of that. But um, I, for some reason, I just feel that he's Alioski is a bit better off the bench just being an explosive sort of Duracell bunny and just shaking up the uh, shaking up the game at 60 minutes or at half time whenever we need him and um, I think that's probably what I'd do if, if everyone's fit next game I prefer him coming from deeper I much prefer Alioski coming from deeper I think when he's the furthest forward left player he, he, he tends to kind of well, he tends to get caught offside a lot for one thing, which which we saw the return of our left winger getting caught offside a couple of times yesterday, which we've not seen for a while. But um, his kind of decision making and around the box isn't 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 as uh, as as sharp as it could be. And uh, yeah, if if Alioski's going to be in the team, I prefer to see him as the kind of second winger like he played against Luton, where he he, he was notionally the kind of left back, but actually played as a second winger. Um, or as the left back, I, I I struggle with him as as a left winger, and and I, I seem to recall everybody getting very frustrated with him constantly when he was being played there regularly. I think there's also a point to be made about the fact that the the wing back winger combinations or full back wing back winger combinations is interesting as well because Barry Douglas and Alioski on the left is a very different prospect to Alioski and Jack Harrison on the left. Um, and yesterday we had Ailing and, and Harrison as the right wing which is a very different prospect I think from Ailing and, and Costa I actually quite like the um the Ailing Harrison combination because if you're going to play Harrison mm. as a as an out and out winger or a sort of traditional winger then 
Ailing's more direct inverted play. The fact that he's happy to come in field works quite well. I actually quite liked the balance yesterday, and I thought it was interesting that we were attacking more down the right than the left than we usually do. Because obviously, we our, our structure has been let's try and get the the ball into wide areas up to Jack Harrison's um, feet in in the left area with with a backup fullback and sort of helping him to to work the ball around. You mean Harrison's very strong left foot, John? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I, I still haven't actually apologised for that, so I, I hereby apologise for my momentary lapse of reason, where I, I assume that Harrison is is right-footed because his left foot is so bad. Uh, and I hereby apologise for not correcting John publicly on the podcast. <laughs> you know that's that's all well and good, but I, I actually quite like the idea of not using Barry Douglas as a support fullback with Harrison mm. um, and using him as just a more of a defensive fullback who can control the game and then have Alioski as a, as a sort of runner defensive sort of more of a wing back in front of him and then using um, the 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 um, the penetration of Luke Ayling and Harrison on the right maybe and then so yes playing the same sort of style that we have but rather than overloading to isolate right to left doing it the other way around um, that could be quite interesting going going forward especially when a lot of managers will say Leeds are scripted it'd be quite nice to be able to have the ability of just of just inverting that that asymmetrical approach and, and seeing what happens there. I also noticed Harrison overrun the ball a number of times yesterday trying to cut him from the right hand side though and I think I think that's something that we might need to kind of sharpen up on um he he'll need to kind of make make better decisions because there were times when he tried to beat three or four players and just ended up losing the ball yeah and so we did have a couple of questions on this sort of topic so uh Brolin ate the pie um says Douglas stays in Costa goes left Harrison stays right right um and then Robert Kionas says could we give Costa a try on the left with Harrison still staying right? If Costa is fit by Thursday, then Alioski will be placed on the bench again. I think the issue with playing Costa on the left there is that you know you you are trying to be a little bit more defensive, perhaps on the on the left hand side in the current um, situation. But maybe yeah, again against a a team that are sitting deeper, then that might be an option. Joe, do you have any thoughts on this whole topic? Yeah, I think it's an option. I think I do like to see the wingers swapping. Um, in in games, just generally when I watch a game of football, I think that's something that I like to see. Um, it's just interesting and it just shakes shakes up the game and gives the fullbacks something different to think about. So it's certainly an option, but um, yeah, I think with I think Harrison has been fantastic on the left this season, um, and I would like to see it go back to go back to that. Um, if everyone is fit, but it's nice that we're trying out these different options and hopefully we get four five nil up and then we can put everyone in completely different positions and see what happens. I wonder if uh, we played Costa on the left, it might be nicer for him to have Barry Douglas sort of gently explaining what he should be doing rather than Luke Aylin bollocking him for 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and they played together at Wolves, didn't they, as well, Douglas and uh, Costa, so that could yeah. be interesting. Mm. Right, let's move on to talk about the around the league situation. So win, wins for Brentford and Fulham yesterday sort of keeps them in the chasing pack. Nottingham Forest give away uh, a late equaliser, which was quite nice. Seems as though they're well and truly out of that that top two race now. West Brom playing today against Hull, which will, I think, really be a test of whether or not they are falling apart, as everyone seems to think they are. Um, guys... Another win for Brentford. There was a video during the rounds yesterday of um, Mateus Click saying that he um, 
uh, he he said that they are considering the only challenge really to come from Brentford in terms of automatic promotion. Uh, how how are we feeling about Brentford? We had a question from LJM who said, "Do you see Brentford dropping any points at all? And if so, uh, who against?" Um, how are we feeling about Brentford first before we go into that to answer that question? Do we do we feel as though they are still? Do we do we feel as though they're going to win all their games basically? Well, this is something that we've been we've been debating between us um, off the podcast, and um, I I think that they very well could win all their games. Um, looking at their fixtures, they've got Charlton at home, Derby away, Preston at home, Stoke away, and Barnsley at home. So, the one that stands out for me is is Derby away. Derby are looking to make a promotion push. Um, they didn't look that good against Forests, uh, to be honest. But that's the one hurdle that that they would have to overcome. But I can see them comfortably beating Charlton, Stoke, and Barnsley. And actually, I think I've found it more useful in in my head just to assume that they will win all the games um, because it it means that we're looking for the maximum number of points, uh, which is ten, to guarantee promotion. And I I quite like. Um, having that number as as high as it as it possibly can be, just because it makes me uh, feel a slightly more realistic and not not get my hopes too high. Yeah, it would be a terrible thing to have high hopes, and uh, hopefully this <laughs> the, our whole media channel is about making sure we dampen people's hope and uh, increase increase the general misery of of the fan base. Darren, what's your take on on Brentford? I think it's pretty unlikely that they'll win every single game between now and the end of the season although my my faith in saying that is reducing each each week um, <laughs> as as they then go on and and win um i think it would you know it would be a really extraordinary run for them to, for them to do that and if they were to do that all you'd be able to do is hold your hands up and say that was you know pretty bloody impressive but that's football clive you know we've we've got to uh, we've got to win win our points and 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 forget about what what Brentford are doing. Ten points, as Joe says. Um, hopefully, you know they'll drop two points before we play on on Thursday, and then we only need eight. You know, it's just we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, my attitude has always been that when it comes to a team like Brentford, because they require such a monumental eff- effort to actually be in the running. The only team you really need to worry about is West Brom. So for me, because West Brom are sort of matching us roughly points-wise at the moment, and you you can consider that a fairly good bellwether, it's just a case of us making sure we keep ahead of West Brom. Uh, if we finish ahead of West Brom, we go up automatically. That's just that's just true. Um, and so personally, I'm I'm more of the opinion that we shouldn't be worrying about Brentford overtaking us, but but West Brom and um, uh, I don't know whether or not that's necessarily a helpful heuristic, but um, yeah, you know, look, we've got the same. We've basically got the same games that Brentford have got going going forward. They've got Preston, and we've got someone else. Who have we got? Swansea, yeah. Swansea. So yeah. swap swap Swansea and Preston, and then we've got basically the same run in as Brentford. I think Preston. I think Preston are a kind of a much tougher prospect than Swansea for a team that play in the same sort of style that Brentford and we do. Yeah. I think they might yeah. be a bit of a threat. That's where I would say that I, I could see the points. I, I agree with Derby County. Derby County sort of have the ability to absolutely blitz games. Um, but with Preston, it's just that's going to be a frustrating game where they're going to be, the longer the game goes on without them scoring, the, the more they're going to get frustrated and have to try and, and win that game. And, you know, we've seen 
we've seen ourselves getting frustrated by Preston this season and um, there's no reason why Brentford won't do that. I would also say on the Brentford side of things that we've been talking about Brentford. We're always going to be high on Brentford because they're a smart team. They have great players. They have a really good recruitment process. They have a manager who knows what he's doing. Um, they're just a smart team all around. So we're always going to be appreciative of them. And this season, we've always been saying, oh, you know, Brentford are going to be up there. They're going to be challenging. They're going to be in and around there and, and they'll win a couple of games and then they'll lose just an inexplicable game. Um, they had quite bad away form, um, which may be ameliorated by the post-lockdown football. But um, they've they've always got an inexplicable loss in in them, and that's kind of why I I'm saying you know yeah of course like Darren says you know as the time goes by you're like oh maybe my prediction that Brentford are going to drop points is looking less and less likely as each week goes on. But literally, if they draw a game. It, it just changes the whole tenor of everything. Like they, they even even one draw for them and a win for us the same week just takes it one more, um, makes it even more difficult for them to over overtake us. So it's just it's just having to be pragmatic and being like, yes, it feels as though everything bad happens to us. But if you just take it from the point of view of a neutral and just think, what would a neutral person think about this? Then yeah, you might be um a little bit more more balanced and it might help you help you. Uh, calm down and stress a little bit but i say that as someone who very much doesn't take that advice if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, we need to move on to talk about Stoke City. So I was lucky enough to talk to Chris Brammer this week, who is one of the hosts of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. And this is what he had to say. So I'm joined by Chris Brammer one of the members of the Wizards of Drizzle po- Drizzle? <laughs> one of the members of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Chris, how's it going? It's all right, thank you, John. It is drizzly outside, so maybe that was uh, what caused the <laughs> slip of the tongue there. But no, I'm, I'm very well. How about yourself? Yeah, no, it's, it's going very well. I'm going to have to discipline myself not to talk to you about City Skylines, which is what we usually <laughs> spend our time talking about. So yeah, hopefully we'll make it through. Yes. I'll try, I'll try and not put any analogies to city building when <laughs> talking about Stoke's awful defence. <laughs> well, you mentioned Stoke. We should talk about Stoke. So how would you say the season has gone so far for you? 
Oh, it's been a long one, that's for sure. Um, it's very difficult to think back to what the start of the season was like, having had that lovely lockdown um, hiatus. Um, I think you have to view this season through the prism of last season, where last season we had we had come down and there was a complacent attitude amongst uh, fans and board alike that Stoke were going to challenge for the for the top. And I think I was I was definitely amongst those who who said the same. Um, so when we finished 16th last year, that was seen rightly as a as a very poor season for us. Um, and I think generally at the start of this season, there was a lot of hope that under a new manager, a new young manager in Nathan Jones, uh, who would bring in his players and could really get going in the pre-season, that there'd be some progress. Um, and it has been quite the opposite. Um, the season started extremely poorly for Stoke. Um, we've found ourselves in a relegation battle ever since. Um, we Things did pick up as we Nathan Jones lost his job and we brought in uh, Northern Ireland manager Michael O'Neill. Um, and, and things did start to pick up. Um, we became one of the better teams in form in this second half of the season. Um, but we would, I mean, we were never really going to challenge anything this season. At best, we were probably looking at finishing somewhere in your teens. Um, coming back from lockdown, though, <laughs> we're paying tribute to the start of the season, it seems. Um, we find ourselves in a very, very dangerous position. Yeah, and you mentioned relegation. Um, but looking at the table, it's not a particularly pretty side for Stoke. Um, as things stand, and I should say we're recording this before you play Barnsley, you are one point off the relegation zone, and both Barnsley and Luton are having good runs of form. Do you think there's a real possibility that you could go down? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Um, there is certainly a prevailing uh, thought amongst fans that this that they're, they're preparing themselves for the worst. Obviously, the news that Wigan have gone into administration can potentially see us saved by technicality, but um, it, is, it is a real, real fear for us. Um, I think that... I think the worrying thing then for me is that if Stoke go down, we will. It would be the the same as like Sunderland going down. Financially, we are not equipped for it. We have players on wages that are too high even for the Championship, and going down into League One, where it would ruin us financially, and that would be terrible for the for the city of Stoke on Trent because the club is a big supporter of the local community it uses local businesses it would be a real real issue for the local community equally and this is perhaps more conspiracy theory from me but i worry that if we survive on a technicality we survive because wigan have been deducted 12 points we survive by the skin of our teeth that the the board itself at stoke at the moment there is a definite feeling that whereas the clubs who we came down with the west broms radically changed how they operate they got rid of the people higher up Stoke didn't do that. We definitely approached everything with a an aura of of complacency. And my concern is that what we really, really need is some changes at a senior level. But if we survive by the skin of our teeth, I think that they will be seen. There's no need to change that. Um, not saying that going down to League One would be good for us, because it really, really wouldn't. But it is a real concern, definitely. Yeah, so there's a few things here. You, you've mentioned that you have had a fairly good run of form recently. And if you look at the form tables over the last 10 games, you're a mid-table side, pretty solid mid-table side, not a relegation struggler. Um, but you've also mentioned that post-lockdown Stoke haven't looked great. So um, what's what's the situation with the post-lockdown form, do you think? 
It's a very, very interesting one. Obviously, no one could really account for what football was going to look like when we came back. Um, and I think the fact that everyone around us in this relegation struggle have seemingly hit the ground running um, is um, has, has mainly exasperated the, the, the poor luck that Stoke have got. Now, listen, we never start seasons particularly well, at least in the last few years. And it's, it was quite a long break before football. So in many respects, you could consider this like they're starting the season again. In terms of a worrying trend, I think, is that we are looking quite toothless. And whereas Michael O'Neill before was quite a... He stuck to his he stuck to his players, he stuck to the tactic that he wanted to play. He's become a bit of a tinkerman. And we're seeing a chopped and changed starting eleven. Our midfield is very, very... Um, inexperienced. We've got um, some players from the academy in there, and and players who we've brought in this season, um, who who really haven't hit the ground running. Whereas you know we in the past have had the likes of Joe Allen there, who is unfortunately out injured at the moment. And I mean midfield itself is is a podcast in its own for Stoke because we have an abundance of players on paper uh, who belong to the club who are midfielders, but it is <laughs> it's a story in itself. He a worrying thing though is that he's changed the defense quite a bit. Um, the form of Jack Butland all past two years has been pretty appalling, and there seems to be no connection between the goalkeeper and the defense. And that doesn't help by the fact that the defense has we've played a, a huge combination of different back fours throughout this season. It hasn't been consistent, um, and as a result, we are quite easy to to break down because communication is not key we're playing centre-backs <laughs> in the in the full-back positions it's um it, yeah we we've we've just looked quite poor at defending and controlling the game and it doesn't help then that our attacking players have never been the most consistent you've mentioned Michael O'Neill a few times um he obviously did a good job at Northern Ireland before coming to Stoke and I've got the question, it's maybe a bit of a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question, but is this a case of Stoke ruining another manager? Because you've had <laughs> Gary Rowett, who is, I, in my opinion, a pretty decent manager. You've had Nathan Jones, who is a pretty decent manager, and they've both moved on to, I mean, it's too soon to say, really, with Nathan Jones, but they've moved on and, and have looked more impressive at clubs that aren't Stoke. So <laughs> what, what is it about Stoke that is um, is able to just ruin good managers? We, we just ruin everything. We ruin, <laughs> you give us a good you give us a good player and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll break them somehow. Like, <laughs> like Ryan Woods was a fantastic player at Brentford and he's come to us and we've just, we poisoned him and now he's at Millwall with Gary Rowett. And he's pretty decent there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's it's very, very frustrating. I think um, D- uh, Michael O'Neill, I think, is a is a good manager. Uh, the tinkering comment aside, he he definitely came in and stabilised us, and we were able to to build on something. Now we were never we weren't anything flashy or like revolutionary, but we were we were pragmatic and we were, we looked solid we looked there was a there was a foundation been built and that looked great since since lockdown it seems that that's changed now this it could just be three really bad matches that are hitting us at a really poor time and with all the circumstances of having so many weeks off one team was bound to struggle with coming back after after a break i i'm i'm cl- clutching at straws in this analogy but i think if you look at say Gary Rowett then when when Rowett was was sacked Stoke were in a very very 
different position to where they find themselves now. We were certainly in a better position, and I think some fans will look at it in hindsight and think we were wrong to get rid of Gary Rowett. But I think the the consistent thing throughout all the managers, Rowett, Jones, and O'Neill, this bunch of players, there is now a concern, I would say, that it isn't the manager's fault. It is simply we have we have a bad bunch of eggs. Um, and you can understand why people would feel that way. We've had three... I, I, I say three managers who are failing. O'Neill hasn't failed by any stretch. He's just going through a bit of a, a tough patch. But you get the impression that some of the players just they they didn't think Nathan Jones was big enough for them O'Neill said some really interesting comments actually after the Wigan game where he basically said that there are some players here who are clearly showing they don't care and they need to book their attitudes up otherwise they'll be finding themselves in a league one club with no real future and they're doing themselves a disservice he, he really laid into him in a post-match interview we, we haven't ruined Michael O'Neill as of yet but if he is to continue with us, then there needs to be a wholesale change at the club. He isn't part of the change that needs to happen because he's uh, he's doing a good job and I think he can still do a good job. But I think we need to really, really change the playing staff, the people above O'Neill. We require wholesale change. We're looking forward to the, the match uh, on Thursday. Let's talk about O'Neill's tactics. How do you describe O'Neill's football? Probably pragmatic more than anything he isn't a person who ascribes to a particular philosophy um unlike unlike your manager um it, it certainly seems to be and you can see this from his time with northern ireland i think he seems to be a manager who wants to get the best out of the players that he has um and that is certainly how how he set us up is it's just i was going to say playing players in their right positions and getting the best out of them but he's been playing center backs at fullback so that that blows that theory out the water it is it is more a case of the football is it's not simple in a tony pulis hit it long um and brute strength style that we were used to in the past but it's certainly a much more direct football um the 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 players with a bit of flair use their flair but it is it's to use a really poor analogy you know on football manager when you just set everything to neutral no you don't because you don't play football manager john (laughs) but it is basically just everything's in neutral there isn't anything but that's it it's just everyone is in the right place and there it is more about just getting stuff out of the players themselves rather than it is setting them up to play a particular particular style which at, at stoke a cliche it may be but I think fans are generally happy if they see players working hard and and putting putting effort in. And <laughs> there is a, a quite poor analogy that Stoke fans will just be happy if they see people running around. And it's kind of true that if you see a bit of grit and determination, then it will take you a long way into making people think that um, that we've got a good team. So looking through the season's results, it seems they've been pretty rigid tactically, which fits with what you're saying about O'Neill being a pragmatist. You've been playing either 4-2-3-1 or 4-1-4-1, which basically means you're just tweaking around with the midfield, um, maybe having one back or two back. Um, Is O'Neill pretty set on this approach, do you think? 
yeah yeah definitely and the the switch between those two um a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-1-4-1 was it i think is purely down to the fact that um we haven't had nick powell available for all those games when nick powell is available he will play the 4-2-3-1 and have nick powell sat behind the striker uh, more or less apart from a few times when he played him out on the left i think um it's pretty pretty rigid pretty standard setup we you won't see us changing to a, a a three at the back system halfway through a game. We are we are set in our ways at this moment. And in terms of the game on Thursday, how are you looking injury wise? We have Joe Allen out for the uh, rest of the season, which is a loss for us. Yeah, he so, so we we won't have him. Depending on how things go on Saturday, we will see how Ryan Shawcross is. He he is back, but he is going through a thing where he'll play a game and then be out with a back injury. Um, he's got some recurring uh, injuries that he that just keep affecting him. Um, apart from that, I think we have a few little hits here and there. But the, I mean, the main one is Joe Allen is the big loss for us. So what do you think the lineup will look like on Thursday? <laughs> if you'd have asked me this before lockdown, I would have been able to give you an absolute concrete answer. But because he keeps changing his team around, um, it, it is very, very difficult to to describe. I think if if it was up to me and going off the, the things we've seen in the last few games, you are probably likely to see the like um, Jack Butland will remain in goal. That is probably a... Sh- a- a sure start um at defense you're probably going to see shawcross if he's available and danny Barr maybe um on the the fullbacks who knows he's been playing bruno martin's indy the center back at left back but stephen ward came in in the last game at right back he's been playing a youngster through the academy nathan collins there but we also have tommy smith who came in from huddersfield the back four is kind of a question. You you don't know. I think in midfield, you're probably going to see Jordan Thompson and Jordan Cousins again. Um, and if Nick Powell is back, Nick Powell be, will be up in the attacking midfield role, flanked by James McLean and Ince. Those, and Tom Ince, those two are pretty nailed on. And one of our rotating casts of strikers up front, <laughs> either Lee Gregory or Sam Vokes or uh, Tyrese Campbell. Um, my preferred thing is would be Tyrese Campbell just because he has a bit of pace about him. But um, again, it would depends. It depends on what depends on what happens against Barnsley. You just you just do not know at this point. I always ask this question because I always find it quite interesting. Or want to know which players you're always wary of when you face Leeds? <laughs> Can I just say the entire entire <laughs> squad? Um, oh gosh. Um, I feel I know that uh, Bamford has been a bit hit and miss for you this season, or at least that's what my lead supporting colleagues tell me. Um, but how how is he playing at the moment? Because that will determine how I feel. Well, I mean, if you were to ask Leeds fans, they would say absolutely terrible. Because okay, then he's not finishing. Then, <laughs> in which case, then I I'm most afraid of him because he is definitely going to score against <laughs> us. Because that is just the narrative, isn't it? <laughs> You've got. I mean, your squad is just is is quite nice, isn't it? Really. So this, I I don't know what you're like in terms of injuries, but I'm, and anyone with a little bit of pace who can get onto a ball that goes over the top is going to scare me. Similarly, the other direction, which players should Leeds look out for on the Stoke side? Um, 
and presumably in a like to be afraid of not to like ridicule um <laughs> if nick powell plays nick powell has the ability to he's one of those players who can can turn a bad situation into a good into a good pass he, he is when when he hasn't played we look creatively lacking and he is certainly the, the one player who can sit and create stuff um depending on what mood he's in and what what form you hit him in james mclean in all honesty as much as he can f- be fur- like infuriating with his just running into corners uh, if he's he he has some real determination about him and he will just pester the living heck out of <laughs> uh out of his the person marking him he will just keep running at them he is certainly a player who um he, he has a questionable relationship with some Stoke fans, uh, <laughs> as you would expect. But um, he certainly ticks all the boxes in terms of that grit and determination that Stoke fans look for. He will just run for days. I was going to say, just about on Nick Powell, you know, all you need at the moment to score against Leeds is just sort of an outside chance. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit worried about Nick Powell as well. But in terms of the game itself, how do you expect the game to unfold? <laughs> <laughs> um, you can give a prediction as well if you want. I yeah, no, add. I think I think I I think we'll I think we'll lose. In all honesty, like I we are putting a lot on this on the Barnsley game, which I presume this is going to come out afterwards, so you'll know how that went. Unlucky, Chris. Unlucky. I, or well, good result. That's what a surprise. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. I say I'm sure we'll try, but I'm not even convinced <laughs> of that. I'm I'm not putting anything on this game. Uh, the the Barnsley game is the more important one, but to I, I it it just depends on what Stoke side turn up. Like obviously the there isn't so much of an atmosphere at these games, so it's it's very much just down to how the players themselves perform. You haven't got the the intimidation of a home fan, uh, home fans. So it's it's very very difficult to to tell how they'll how the game will will go. I do expect us to lose, but. I, I hope it isn't a complete rout, and I would be very surprised if it was a draw. A Gary rout. A Gary... Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, it's been great fun chatting to you, as always. How should our listeners get following your stuff online? Oh, gosh. Um, well, if they... I don't know why a Leeds fan base would be interested, but if you are interested in seeing... Soviet architecture, mate. <laughs> oh well, I was gonna I was gonna advertise our podcast, but I was gonna say during the Leeds game, if you want to see us have a breakdown, you can follow us on <laughs> at Wizards of Drivel. <laughs> That's our podcast Twitter, and you can see us just get increasingly sad. If you want to find me and talk about Soviet architecture and city skylines, which I love, <laughs> um, you can just follow me at Bramard, which is B-R-A-M-M-E-R-E-D. Well, Chris, thanks so much. It doesn't sound as though you're particularly looking forward to the Stoke game, but I do hope that you enjoy it in whatever form Stoke <laughs> fans enjoy football games these days. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you very much. <laughs> So that was Chris Brammer of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Joe, what did you make of that? I thought it was, it was really interesting. Um, there was a couple of uh, points that, that he made that I kind of agreed with in Stoke, just being a very neutral team with no no particular style. Um, but he, we kind of had the same thing uh, with Stoke that we were having with Luton, where we sort of think that they're probably putting more emphasis on their other games. Um 
Stoke have Birmingham just after playing us, and they're I think Birmingham are right next to them in the table, so that's going to be a, a huge game for them, and it does make me feel that maybe they're going to come to Leeds and just see it as a bit of a free hit and probably play the same way that Luton did and just be you know they they'd be thrilled with a draw, and if they lose then that's what they're all expecting. That's what Chris was predicting. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting game because of that. Interesting to hear us, uh, another football fan have as little faith in his own team as most Leeds <laughs> fans have got in us. <laughs> um, yeah, I was. I, I think what what might be a, a thing over the next few days is uh, people reading too much into Stoke beating Barnsley four 0 yesterday. Um, Barnsley were abject from from the bits and pieces that I've seen. Particularly, their defend their defending for all four goals was incredibly incredibly poor um, I don't see Stoke as much of a threat I think it's very likely that we'll come away from that game with three points and I'm hoping for a, a similar sort of thing to yesterday where where it's just kind of comfortable and, and nice and we don't have to get too stressed and upset and 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 um, an early goal like we were like we got yesterday like we got against Fulham and like we got in the five games pre-lockdown that kind of really uh put us in this really good position I'm just hoping for that and that a kind of relatively stress-free um, afternoon because it's it's at the end of quite a long working day for me so I can probably do without the extra stress <laughs> uh, yeah and you mentioned that they had a 4-0 win yesterday against Barnsley um, I haven't seen any of the goals apart from the Tyrese Campbell chance where he sort of flicks it through his legs and uh, after a, as you mentioned a terrible bit of defending Um you said people were probably going to read too much into this, which seems about right. Um, I guess the you know it's it's hard to know which way that can go, isn't it? Like maybe with a four nil win under their belt, they'll be a little bit lax in the next game. Given what you said, Darren, about them not having to uh, maybe or, or Joe, I think it was Joe, maybe saying that they might treat this as a bit of a free hit. Um, equally, that that might give them a little bit of a momentum to come out and and, and try hard. So. I, yeah, I would say on the balance of play, they've been playing pretty badly um, since the return to from from, from lockdown. Um, I'd, I'd also say we've still no idea how they're going to line up. Just looking at their their lineup, they did play the four two three one, which uh, which Chris said you know you can't see them not playing. Um, I haven't seen the game, so I'm literally going off transfer marks um, um, set up, and and there's a chance that you know Tyrese Campbell wasn't playing on the right wing. Um, he may have been playing up front and they may have been playing more of a four four two, which I think I saw some suggestion was the case. But I will watch that back get that game back anyway before I do my tactics pre- preview early in the in the week. So um yeah, but in terms of personnel, everything's sort of moving around. You've got Nick Powell coming in, he hadn't really been playing. Tyrese Campbell hasn't hasn't been playing. You've got Tommy Smith coming in, he hasn't been playing. Um Martin Zindi came back in at left back. He hasn't really been playing in the last couple of games, so it does feel as, it does feel a little bit as though Mike, Michael O'Neill is going through that sort of manager on a bad run, um, sort of tweak things around and see what changes and hopefully what sticks sticks. <laughs> um, so I don't know whether or not we should read too much into that as well. The other thing, of course, is that Jack Butland's never had a good game at Elland Road, including the times when he played for us. So um, <laughs> I think we can hope that that run continues. <laughs> yeah. 
Joe, have you got any thoughts on the idea that the that the their four 0 win might be be good for us insofar as that sort of gives them a bit more of a buffer between relegation zone? Or I, although I note they're still only two points clear of the relegation zone, and it's all a little bit up in the air at the moment. I do think it is good for us that they that they uh, won yesterday. I think we've seen. Uh, this season that teams on a losing streak sort of come to Ellen Road and get really fired up for it and somehow manage to get a result out of us and I think this is this is just back to what I was saying before the the, the fact that they've won and they've got a little bit of clearance well, only only two points but um, still I think they could be a little bit more relaxed about this game and basically just concentrating on no one getting injured no one getting sent off or doing anything stupid because they'll miss the Birmingham game, uh, and I think I can I can expect to see them playing kind of how Chris described them in just playing a bit neutrally, a bit passively, and just seeing what we seeing if they can hold on for a nil nil sort of boring draw. Yeah. So Darren, how do you expect the game to go? Uh, I expect quite similar to yesterday. I think I think we'll I think we'll come out. We'll probably grab. I'm imagining or thinking or hoping for an early goal and then see the game out with as little incident as possible. Yeah, I'd like to see us keep a clean sheet. Um, we've not done that in the past couple of games. I think the players look quite quite confident after yesterday. Phillips will be confident on his set pieces and his corners and uh, and all of that. So I think, like Darren said, if we can get an early goal, then it's as good as one for me. But um if they can take us into 60, 70 minutes at nil-nil, then it's going to be uh, one of those Groundhog Day uh, games where it's just playing out in the same in the same style that we've seen this season. Maybe if that happens, just play the Luton podcast back and just change <laughs> the words to Stoke. Well, if you've made it this far, um, we've had a lot to say this morning. Hopefully you've enjoyed it all. If you do like what we do and you're still here and you want even more content, then there is the possibility for you to sign up to our Patreon page. The Patreon just allows us to uh, get subscriber um, support and uh, offer unique content that that, uh, doesn't go out free on our channel. Um, We put out um, written stuff, we put out podcasts etc and on the subject of podcasts i've already mentioned it but we're speaking to john harrison uh, this week he is a goalkeeping analyst and we'll be talking about the difficulties and benefits of analyzing keepers he was uh, someone who played um i played with actually at uni um he played as a goalkeeper um he's going to talk us through the leeds goalkeeping situation as well if you have any questions for that do get in touch and uh, and and let us know what they are um we will be giving preference to our patreon subscribers of course um, but if you aren't a, uh, a member of our Patreon, do head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? Uh, have a look around there and then sign up and you'll be able to get any uh, access to any of the content that we have up there at the moment. We have three people who have recently signed up to our Patreon. These are Saeed Al-Mansouri, Guy Jays and Stephanie Desvaux. Thank you guys for signing up. All that is left for me to do then, I suppose, is to say thank you, Darren. Thank you very much. And thank you, Joe. Cheers. Thanks. And we'll be back on Thursday with hopefully uh, lots of uh, positive things to say about Stoke. We are actually going to be recording on the day of the game, so it may be a bit of a car crash podcast, but we'll see what happens with a with a quick turnaround on that one. But we have a game on Thursday and then a game on Sunday, so we, we don't have a huge amount of time to get stuff out. So uh, a little bit of an experiment for us, but we will see you then. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.